Hi there, and welcome to Coming Back, a podcast about coming back to life after loss. On today's show, we'll talk to Leela B., a modern-day monk and host of the podcast Daring to be Happy, who lost her boyfriend to type 1 diabetes and now uses meditation to find surrender and peace and teach others to do the same. Also on the show today, a listener writes in with a question about letting go of personal belongings and a home when loved ones die, and I'll share a cool visualization I created for releasing pain in my own life. I'm Shelby Forsythia, an intuitive grief guide who speaks, writes, and teaches the transformational power of grief and loss. My mom's death in 2013 set me on the path to becoming a lifelong student of grief, and I use what I learned to equip others with the knowledge to heal and remind them that they are not alone. Because even through grief, we are growing. Let's get started. Hi there, and welcome to another episode of Coming Back. I am so glad to have you here. I want to remind all of you through the top of the show this week, how important it is to get somebody else's eyes on your story, how vital it is for someone else to hold space for your pain. Lately, I've been working with Iris Rankin, who we had on coming back episode four, uh, to unlock and to move through a lot of pain and grief that I've been experiencing lately. And through her wholehearted and wild coaching program, I've been tapping into more of my creative spirit through my work and remembering truths and power in me that I haven't tapped into lately. She has been so present with me and just a beautiful witness for this period of what I'm starting to call recalibration in my life. And just so you know, before I jump into this, I am not getting paid to endorse her services this week. I am just genuinely excited and thrilled by what we've been uncovering through our sessions over the past couple of weeks. So Iris is a master at guided visualization, and I'm a sucker for any moment I get to paint a picture in my mind, to dream and to create things with my imagination, to see things in front of my closed eyes. So this week with Iris, I was talking about wanting to let go of the pain that I feel I'm carrying around in relation to my recent breakup, having to renew my lease and getting a new job as a result of it, uh, and just generally not being where I thought I would be this time of year and at this point in my life with the expectations I had set for myself and that were set into place as a part of my life. Um, I'm also dealing with a lot of new and a lot of hard information and trying to synthesize that into my the holistic picture of my life now and sometimes feeling attacked or feeling really lonely in that process. And as Iris was guiding me into this space of visualization, this is what I really want to share with you this week. I had this really strong, clear picture of a tree, a fall tree with leaves rustling and the wind blowing. And this tree was just gracefully and willingly and joyfully dropping its leaves. The phrase that came to me during this visualization was pleasant discarding. What do I want to do with my pain? I want to pleasantly discard it. I know that memories are forever. We can never trash them or gloss over them or totally wipe them or erase them from our minds. 
But in grief, pain is what really, really sticks with us and can hold us back and make us feel trapped and make us feel isolated and alone. And that's what I really want to let go of right now. The sting and the tightness of resisting what my life looks like now in the aftermath of my life path just totally changing and being turned on its head. Um, I guess (laughs) surrender is going to be a theme on today's show. So here we go. I love drawing metaphors from nature, even through grief, we are growing. And this week, I was really drawn to this picture of this tree. Trees grow and they root down into the ground and they get pruned and climbed and harvested for different things. Trees do a lot. Trees do so many things. And one thing they do really well that I guess I'm just learning from and really drawing from and speaking to this week is letting go, is dropping, is releasing Trees release without complaining or resisting or agonizing about when their leaves are going to return to them. When the wind blows and when seasons start to change, it's time, just without question. And there goes the pain right off their limbs and down to the ground to be recycled for something else. But it's not attached to them anymore. This picture was just so strong for me this week, grief growers. That's why I wanted to share it with you. And please don't get me wrong. Please don't get me wrong. I have said on previous episodes that there was rightness and righteousness and truth in being angry and holding on to what happens to us. There is, there's so much value and power and ownership in taking charge of your story and saying, I'm pissed that things are different and it's not fair. That's a place that we all need to be sometimes with our grief. But for me in my life and for where I am now, I'm waking up to the notion that I've been sitting in that space for just a little too long. The seasons are changing for me. And I'm getting to a place where I can start to steady myself and start to stand up again. But in order to really start walking forward, I need to drop some of this pain and some of the anger that I'm carrying. So just like the trees outside that are changing here for the fall, I am dropping my leaves. I am making a commitment to you today to start dropping my leaves. I'm dropping the pain. The roots and the trunk and the limbs of this tree are my memories. They're the things that will never go away. My story. They will grow and they will change. But they won't go away. The pain and the heartache and the angst associated with it, that's what will go away. That's the picture I'm bringing into my space per Iris's instructions every single day this week in the hopes that that the grip on my heart from this pain and this heartache will be able to release little by little with the conscious, pleasant discarding of this pain. If you're in a space right now where you're ready to release some of the pain associated with your memories, take a look at these trees outside. Watch them release their leaves. As the seasons change, as the wind blows, just watch them fall. Be your own kind of tree, with its leaves dropping, root down, in what you know to be true. Keep your memories, please keep your memories, keep your structure, keep your core, keep your home. But that pain, that attachment to what should have, could have, would have been, what the grief recovery method calls hopes, dreams, and expectations, let those things fall to the ground. If you're ready, just let them fall when the wind blows next. Their season is done. For me this week, their season is done. 
Thank you so much to Iris Rankin, founder of Project Intention, and masterful, wholehearted, and wild coach for your guidance this week. You have really, really inspired me to share and to release. If you're looking for another set of eyes to start walking you through your own grief journey, please contact me at shelbyforsythia.com. I can work with you on your pain or direct you to a magnificent collection of coaches and resources who can as well, whatever and whoever resonates with you. I'll be on Facebook Live tomorrow, October 5th, talking about the concept of pleasantly discarding. You can find my Facebook page at Shelby Forsythia Intuitive Grief Guide to be notified when the live broadcast begins. Next up, I'll answer a listener question about letting go of belongings and a home after a loss. Patricia writes, I lost my parents a while ago, and I am now selling the house I grew up in. While I know it's time to move on, it's hard to let go and feel good about releasing it. Can you talk about releasing items or houses that hold memories of loved ones? Thanks, Patricia. Yes, absolutely, Patricia. Thank you so much for writing in, and I am so sorry to hear about the loss of your parents. Letting go of physical items related to the people that we've lost can be painful and heart-wrenching and can make us feel obligated to decide things based on what other people would want for us instead of what we actually want to do or what feels good. So I'm going to start by giving you some concrete resources. There are three of them. First, I was asked to be a guest writer for an article that Closet Box published called Nine Tips for Coping with the Death of a Parent, and you can find a link to this article in the show notes. Closet Box is a storage company that works with people often to store items for a short period of time after their parents die, and they store items for all kinds of reasons, but as a self-storage facility, they do a lot of, of inheritance and a lot of moving out of a home when someone has passed away. Um, And this article is all about putting yourself in an emotional space and going easy on yourself in dealing with the death of a parent and making room for all of these unexpected feelings to come up. It's a really great place to start to just kind of get your emotional foundation settled. Second article I want to share with you is uh, by What's Your Grief? And this is um, two women, both mental health professionals, that talk about how grief affects our lives in different ways. And the title of the article is called Dealing with Stuff, in parentheticals, literally, Sorting Through a Loved One's Belongings. And this is a more practical article with steps and checklists for sorting through physical items in your home. So for example, they ask you, do you want help or do you want to do it alone? If there are people who can't be there to help you, what would they want you to keep for them, like relatives that live in another state? Uh, What order do you want to sort through things? How much time will you spend per session going through things, like setting deadlines for yourself or for this process? And then they also have a section about making different quote-unquote piles and boxes. So things like a pile for donation, a pile for you to keep for sentimental reasons, a box for you to keep for legal reasons, a box for you to give to other people, for you to sell, for garage sale, to throw away, etc. Um, I'll also put this article in the show notes for you to find. Again, it's called Dealing with Stuff, Sorting Through a Loved One's Belongings. Uh, and also at the end of that article, they link to a podcast that is explicitly related. So if you want to hear them talk about it, as opposed to reading through all the steps, you certainly can. Uh, I highly recommend What's Your Grief's podcast in general, because it's, it's really practical. It's super practical. 
Lastly, Patricia, I will give you an exercise that I picked up from the grief recovery method. And the grief recovery method is famous for dealing with all types of losses, including moving away from a home. There's a technique that I learned that sounds silly at first, but really ensures that you complete the relationship that you've had with your parents' home. And what I want you to do here is to to sit down and write a letter to every single room in this house. You can do a room a day as an exercise. You can do every room in the house in one sitting. But but when you do this, really focus on each energetic space in this house and speak to it. What memories do you have there? What did you like about it? What did you dislike about it? What will you miss? And what can you say thank you for? So for example, dear childhood bedroom, I'll be moving away soon and won't get to see you anymore, but I wanted to let you know how I felt about growing up and living in your space. I have to tell you, I won't miss looking at your floral wallpaper. I never liked it. I'm sorry that I didn't show you to a lot of people who visited because I was embarrassed by it. Thank you for being a safe place for me to go to, especially that one night when mom and dad were fighting and I ran upstairs to get away from their yelling. I really liked how the sun came in here in the morning. It always made me happy as a kid to wake up in my bed in this room. I'm glad I got you all to myself when my brother turned five. Thank you for letting me carve my initials in the closet door. I will always have that memory. Love, Shelby. And just do this with every room in your house. If you've got kids, it's a really great activity to do with them. You can also do it with your partner or with other family members who are saying goodbye to your parents' home. When you're ready to actually move, to leave the home, take each letter to each room, maybe with a candle or a piece of lit sage or some other friends, family members, make a little ceremony of it and release each letter to each room as you move through the house. Read each letter along the way and feel free to cry as you're releasing these letters because you won't see these rooms in the same way ever again. And you are closing a chapter here. Feel free to laugh too because houses hold or can hold a lot of positive memories for us. When you're ready to say goodbye to the whole house, when you're driving or when you're walking or being driven away for the last time, be sure to thank the house as a whole and say goodbye to the house as an entire entity. Forgive it for things you need to forgive it for, apologize to it for things you need to apologize to it for, and thank it for things you need to thank it for, at the very least being a very, very major part of your life and of your parents' life. I know this exercise might sound a little out there, but we form relationships with places the same way that we do with people. And while houses don't speak to us in the same way that people do, they are living, breathing spaces that carry life and energy and are a really big part of our lives. They're where we gather. We need to say goodbye to them to complete our relationships just the same way we need to say goodbye to people who that we've lost to complete our relationships with them. And taking the time to acknowledge and to honor these emotional relationships in your parents' home is a huge step in feeling better about releasing it. You actually get to say goodbye. You're not just dashing out the door without acknowledging how much these items and the physical space of your parents' home meant to you was significant in your life. Thank you so much for writing in again, Patricia. Best of luck. Check out these two articles, which again, you can find in the show notes for this episode. And of course, the letter writing exercise, which you can replay anytime just by listening to this podcast or by searching coming back episode 21 at shelbyforsythia.com. 
please submit your question for the show by leaving a voicemail or texting 312-725-3043 or emailing shelby at shelbyforsythia.com. And just like the articles, you can find both of these contacts in the show notes. Next up, we'll talk to Leela B. about her boyfriend's sudden death and how she discovered meditation as a doorway and opening to surrender. She'll also be sharing her favorite meditation with us, which I am so excited to pass along to you. Leela B. is a self-proclaimed grief geek since recovering from losing the love of her life in 2009. While utterly heartbroken and devastated at this time, she knew that at the age of 29, she was way too young to let it overshadow the rest of her life. So she surrendered herself to grief, allowing it to consume her and move through her as gracefully as possible. During this journey, she discovered the healing power of meditation, which led her to traveling the world, and along the way, she accidentally became a monk and meditation teacher. Today, she has found peace and no longer finds grief the painful experience it once was. Instead, she has found she can be grateful for all of her life experiences and has transformed pain into a passion of life. While she lives in New Zealand with her mini schnauzer Lulu, she still loves to travel and is currently in the mountains of Spain, meditating alongside 80 other monks. Well, Leela, welcome to the show. I would love to start off where we start off all of our interviews and have you share with us your lost story. Sure. So in 2008, I uh, was 28 years old and I met a wonderful guy and it was amazing and lovely and it was kind of like at that age where um, I hadn't had a lot of boyfriends in life and I'd finally met this guy and it seemed to click really well. We moved in together and um, I was getting up to close to 30 and I was like yes finally like my life is on track I'm winning I've worked it all out and um yeah and then he died so (laughs) yeah we'd been living together for three months and he was a type one diabetic obviously that had always been you know a part of our relationship but basically he had low blood sugar which you know is a common occurrence enough for a type 1 diabetic but it was just one of those situations where he was in the wrong place at the wrong time and unfortunately he um, I was talking to him and he was in the supermarket and he was starting to get ratty and show signs of um, of experiencing low blood sugar and he even said that to me and I was like well hun you're in the supermarket so grab a bottle of coke and you'll be fine and I called him right. 10 minutes later and he was driving home from the supermarket by that stage and he still didn't sound right at all and he didn't come home. And oh. so what that's then led to a almost 24-hour search um, for him involving all the emergency services um, and we live in a small town in New Zealand around a lake and his his vehicle was found in the lake and he had um yeah unfortunately by the time they'd found him had died that's horrifying yeah and so it was like yeah my entire life just was blowing up (laughs) what was that what was that day like for you uh surreal i was the first person who knew something was wrong Mm -hmm. i was the person who had to tell everybody else that something was wrong you know, I had to call all his friends. Originally, it was like, hey, have you seen Glenn? Did he call in? Is he at your place? 
and you know within that first day everyone was saying no and I was like oh shit I'm gonna have to call you know an ambulance but I don't know where to send the ambulance but that's what he needs right now right and then you know police got involved I called my parents who lived an hour away and I'm like something's going on and then and then I had to probably the worst call was I had to call his parents who lived three hours away and just say um I'm not sure where your son is but he's in trouble and then the next day it was amazing it was it was actually there was actually a, a huge amount of really beautiful moments that like in the afternoon when the confirmation came through my house just filled with people and I looked around this room and there were his friends from from the other side of the country were there and I'm like what are you doing here when how did you get here so fast but they had all dropped everything and 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 come the night before or made their sad making their way there the night before and so there was actually a real huge amount of love that even then I could appreciate that yeah like this was something very extraordinary going on I'm really surprised that you said that because I was expecting you to say the day after was just awful and of course I imagine it was more than awful but for you to have said there was actually some beautiful moments in there shows a lot of great clarity on your part the day the day of the day after even the week after in a lot of ways was easy because there was nothing to do but react to you like obviously in those moments you stop worrying about whatever you were going to do next week or what report you had to write for work or whatever it becomes really simple and it was simply and I didn't realize it at the time but I was actually super present because there was no other place I could be and that made it easy and even the night that evening when all my friends were there I remember being on the couch with my two closest friends and I remember saying to them I was like if I knew that this was going to be the worst part I think I'd be okay because I am okay right now but I have a feeling that it's going to get a lot worse than this and I was right (laughs) so talk about that worst part because that's that's another great moment of clarity and insight that you had that the day of the day after is not is not the depths of it yeah I don't know what the worst part was there was just worse periods (laughs) you know in in the aftermath there were little dramas and difficulties and 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 things that came like six weeks three months six months 12 months later I think that's what was harder absolutely that makes sense and that's actually some really good uh, insight for new grievers as well who are listening to this podcast that the day it happens is absolutely catastrophic, but you're not crazy and you're not abnormal for continuing to grieve or continuing to be in a very dark place three months, six months, 12 months later. I still have these dark periods that just crash over and I'm, let's see, four years 
away from my loss and you're farther than that as well. And it, it still happens and it still crashes over. So I want to know a little bit of of history from you of loss in your life or dealing with loss uh, leading up to this. How equipped were you to face this when it happened? Had you ever seen grief or loss before? Nothing significant at all. My grandmother had died when I was 14 years old after about a five-month illness. Yeah, no one really that close to me had died. Although in saying that, one piece of clarity, and I, I might be jumping the gun here on some of your questions, sure, but one piece of clarity I did have quite early on was that although it really sucked, obviously, and I my life was a mess. I knew that I couldn't let this huge, massive thing mess me up forever because I was still way too young for that. And I couldn't, that was even more depressing. (laughs) Talk about that concept of being way too young for this to ruin your life forever. Or maybe I'm making that a bit of a dramatic statement. Um, No, no, that's exactly how I would put it. But there's something in there to be said about about age, and there's also something in there to be said about grief not stopping the course of our lives. I, I'm really curious as to how that came to you. Like, where were you when you first yeah. had that thought? Well, it, it almost goes back to like when you asked if I'd had any experience. One one thing that stuck in my mind around that was when I was about 14, a kid I went to school with died. He was accidentally shot in a hunting accident. And it was a small community. And I kind of regularly heard over the years afterwards how his parents had really struggled to move on and to find peace. And they were still very, they hadn't yet forgiven or found forgiveness, you know, for the other hunter who had who had done this. And I, and I, even though that wasn't someone I was overly close with, I had been to school with him and I went to his funeral. I think it was that that made me realize, like, if I hold on to this really tight, it's never going to get any better. It's never going to get any easier. I didn't, I, I knew, like, even though I didn't want to be with anyone else, you know, right then I couldn't think of anything worse I knew that at like 30 years old I was still young and I still had you know a chance at life at you know another relationship at the chance to get married to have babies um, and all those things that you know had felt being ripped away from me in that moment yeah so I kind of because of that it wasn't that I wanted to push through grief but I wanted to surrender to grief fully and completely in the hope that there would be some resolution kind of on the other side and I would be able to like move on and move forward with life. I love that phrase that you just used, surrendering to grief. Is that something that you actively decided to do or is it something that just happened? Yeah, it was definitely a bit of both. I I was consciously kind of, I let go some bits and pieces. I let go quite a bit of work. And I was able just to 
to spend quite a bit of time going inward and and just putting myself number one and being really selfish in that or self-interested in that because selfish has such a negative connotation and I don't think it should. <laughs> this is, I'm not sure I'm going to word this correctly, but how did you keep your grief constructive or how did you stay conscious in it? Um, I don't know. One thing I did also do is I actually, like we had just been living together alone on our own in a three-bedroom house and we were going to get a, a roommate in for the winter, which we hadn't yet organized when he died, um, which was probably quite good. Um, but I actually, my friend's sister was coming to town and I actually said to her, do you think your sister would mind would be interested in maybe staying at my place because she was someone I knew, someone I trusted, and I knew that she would be understanding and give me the space if I needed the space. And it was actually really perfect. And she kind of came and went and did her own thing, And but she was there for two or three months, and she got a puppy. Oh. Uh, <laughs> and so that was really nice to have that. To have other yeah. living beings in the house with you. Yeah, yeah. Visual for you as well. I'm not sure if that I've forgotten your question now. Um, just, <laughs> I can't just, remember if that's an answer or not. Um, just how did you continue to stay conscious in grief? Because when we're alone, it kind of um, grief has the potential, especially around the beginning, to just kind of wash over us and render us totally. Um, I don't want to use the word useless, but but just like we lay there, paralyzed. You know? yeah, paralyzed. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I, I did get a little bit of professional support um, f first from at around that three or four-month mark. Um, I, I saw someone and she just kind of, and I think it was only two or three sessions, I think she was maybe just checking for like post-traumatic stress stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and then it was around maybe nine, ten months later that I was just feeling it was almost that point you know when you kind of get a bit sick of being sad yes absolutely. a bit over your own crap <laughs> um, <laughs> you look in the mirror and you're like are we done with this yet <laughs> yeah and I, I remember like one of my best friends at one point said to me she's like are you all right and I'm like yeah my friend, I'm as good as I can be I was like why she's like oh because you've kind of stopped talking and I'm like Ah, oh, I just really figured that you were really sick of hearing about it because I'm kind of sick of hearing about it. <laughs> She's like, but if you still need to talk, I'm like, oh, God, yeah, I need to talk. <laughs> oh, what a wonderful friend. I love that for you. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I did get um, a bit more, um, like, professional therapy for a couple of months. And then if later down the track, I worked with life coaches um, and things quite a lot, and then meditation. <laughs> All right, so I think I'm ready to crack into that with you. When or how did that come to you? What happened to bring it into your life? Well, I actually started talking about it within a few weeks of Glenn passing, and I was talking about it with one of his best friends who happened to be a meditation teacher. I'd met him briefly just before he traveled from New Zealand to Spain to meditate for six months full time 
And then he came back and he's like, yeah, I'm a meditation teacher now. And I'm like, that's kind of cool. And I had been told that Glenn had actually done a meditation retreat in Thailand years before we met. By the sounds of it, he had, you know, found that hugely beneficial for him at that time. And I know he was at that time getting over quite a long-term relationship. And I hadn't really ever talked to him about that experience in great depth, but everyone had said that that had really kind of had a really positive or been a really positive experience for him. Mm-hmm. So the, about a year after he died, I went to Thailand for a month and I looked for a meditation retreat and I went to this 10 day silent meditation and thinking, and it was kind of like this kind of pilgrimage type thing. Cause I knew that this is what he had done and it was kind of a disaster. Oh, no. <laughs> I found it, I found it really difficult. No, everything I know now, like I understand what was happening and, and what I why I experienced what I experienced. But being in Thailand at this like Thai monastery um, with these Thai monks who had their own version of English, I wasn't really getting the support and the understanding to my questions that I needed to really understand why. Because I honestly, I felt worse than like almost ever before. <laughs> like knowing what I know now, I know that when you give yourself that space, literally, to, to sit down and, and um, rest more in stillness, it allows the body to heal, it allows the, you know, your, your mind to heal. And so what happens is you, your body releases stress through the forms of a lot of thoughts, <laughs> and they can be uncomfortable. <laughs> so there was that, and then I kind of came home, and I was like, yeah, I'm not too sure this meditation stuff is for me or not. But it kind of kept niggling away at me. And eventually I went back to his friend. Because when he first talked about it with me, um, at that time I was like, he was kind of explaining how, you know, it allows you to let go of your thoughts and feelings and emotions. And I'm like, how can you tell me that what I'm experiencing right now isn't real it seemed and like and I should just let it go it's like pretending it never happened like he never happened like our relationship meant nothing it just seemed really detached and cold-hearted yeah almost insulting. Time. <laughs> yes absolutely yeah. yeah 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 like how dare you say that um, this is all something in my head yeah <laughs> absolutely absolutely um that's probably not quite what he said but that's what I heard mm-hmm. in my present state <laughs> So eventually he came down um, and he taught me this meditation technique over a weekend course. And that was fine. And it was a really nice, relaxing weekend. And we were supposed to meditate for 20 minutes, three times a day. That was like the homework. And I was really bad at the homework. I would sit down and I'd meditate and I'd last about five or 10 minutes and I'd be like, mm, this doesn't really feel like it's working or it's a bit boring and I should really get out of bed and, you know, get going for the day. And I didn't kind of connect to this next event to meditation at the time until actually a long time later. But about six weeks after I learned to meditate one day, I had this really um, profound experience, which I call the enlightened washing line moment because I was hanging washing on the line and I don't know what kind of day I was having but I appeared to be in my head and thinking a lot and you know comparing my life to that of my friends 
our friends who were all at that stage where they were getting married and buying houses and having babies. And so I was playing this huge comparison game, which is never good. And all of a sudden, I saw all my conditioning, like I saw a lifetime of conditioning on how I thought my life was supposed to look in order to be successful. This whole story is, and it's I think it's pretty typical, but, you know, I was sent to a good school so I could go to university, get a degree, get a good job, climb the career ladder, meet a guy, get married, buy a house, have babies, preferably in that order by the time I was 30. That was my story. Yes. <laughs> and so everything had been going according to plan right up until that moment that he died. And then I'm like constantly going, you know, this is so unfair. You know, all my friends around me are living the life that I was supposed to be living. And while hanging up the washing, I just suddenly saw that it was all, can I swear on this show? Absolutely. It was all bullshit. <laughs> And the only person holding me to that story was me. And I had always felt like it was an external pressure that was coming from others. That's what they expected my life to look like. Mm -hmm. And I suddenly realized that nobody really gave a shit. They just wanted me to be happy and not sad anymore. You know, they just wanted the best for me, my friends, my family, who were all had been so supportive and so loving and I realized that, yeah, the only person holding me to the story was myself. Yeah. And that's so real for, for grievers because grief just comes into your life. And when I was first starting uh, doing grief as a business, I would call grief the ultimate pivot point because mm. it just comes into your life and forces you to change direction. You don't really get a choice of what the direction is. Um, but, but yes, the, the path that you were on no longer exists and you have to pivot and go in another direction as a result of your grief. And your story looks totally different and, and we're pissed. Like we're all pissed about it and we're pissed about whatever happened to us, whether it's a death or a divorce or diagnosis or what have you. But we're also pissed because our story doesn't get to happen anymore. Like we lose the, the hopes and dreams and expectations that we have for ourselves and for our futures. And that's, that's, the bullshit story that we're looking at is that, oh man, this is the the story that I created for myself that doesn't get to happen anymore. And we're mad when these things get torn away from us. Yeah. And so that was a huge, that the washing line was a huge pivot because suddenly re I realized I was completely free to do whatever I wanted. I'd been trying to buy a house because that's what I thought normal, responsible, grown up people did. Uh, and I realized I didn't want to house and a mortgage um, and so within two months I had quit my whole life I had packed up my house I had quit my job I'd uh, rehomed my, I'd temporarily rehomed my dog and I'd gone traveling were you scared at all of embarking on this path instead of the, the previous story um by that point no I wasn't because I was so done with trying to still maintain you know these old standards I was trying to live up to mm -hmm. um, I was so ready for adventure and I was just so ready to just tip my life upside down and see what fell out and I'd already had flights booked to the UK and I simply moved and it was only supposed to be for a one-month holiday and so I just moved the start that first flight forward a few months and um, my sister was living in London and I started there 
And I thought, oh, if I'm going to travel, I should try and maybe do something productive. Something that a lot of my friends had done was super yachts or worked on super yachts. So I was like, oh, well, I'll, I'll travel Europe and I'll see the world on a boat and it'll be amazing. This will be my new career. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, it didn't quite work out that way, but it was a really good start and it gave me something to do. Um, and so I had an amazing few months, like training in the UK and living in the south of France near Cannes and Monaco and working on a few boats. And it was actually the hardest work I've ever done and it didn't actually really suit me. And I was still, you know, carrying this, you know, it was it, it, at that point when you're in a totally new environment and making new friends who don't know this previous story and, and thing, it was kind of like this deep, dark secret, mm-hmm. you know, that, you know, there's something that you, you, these people don't understand about me. And I didn't like, I, I didn't, I didn't intentionally hold it back, but I would generally pick my moment when I would share you know this this thing that you know was a, still a big part of you know my life and my process and my decision making for doing what I was currently doing I want to ask a question that we ask all of our guests on coming back and that is what was it that helped you come back in terms of people or resources or events or what have you yeah two two things the first was a book that that roommate gave me, the one who moved in after he died. Um, the one with the puppy. <laughs> the one with the puppy, yeah, one with the puppy. She one day came home with this book and she's like, I heard about this book. I think Oprah talked about this book and, uh, and, and she just gave it to me. And it was a book called Heartbroken Open by Christine Carlson. So Christine Carlson is the wife of Richard Carlson. Now, you might not know that name, but you know his books. He wrote the series of books called Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he died. And he died on a plane, like, flying. And she got a phone call saying, wow. yeah. Um, and so she wrote this book. And she'd written um, a lot of the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff books with him. Um, so she was heavily involved in, in all of that. So she wrote this memoir about her experience of grief through that. And she had these really beautiful, um, it was probably the first kind of new age spiritual book or non-religious but spiritual um, book that I'd read. And because I wasn't religious at all, Um in my adult life and I didn't like it wasn't really something that was in my awareness at all um and so Christine's book um started to delve a little bit more into that and she had four kind of key chapters or lessons that type of thing and it was really beautiful and I remember like I I joined her website group and I had these four little words printed off and stuck on my bedroom wall and and I really found, and when when my roommate gave me the book, I just went to bed for the day and read the whole thing at once. Wow. It spoke um, to you that strongly. Yeah. Yeah. I went to bed and cried and read the book. Yeah, it was great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, it was. It was actually very cathartic at that time. Um, and it did. It really resonated with me because I had tried, I'd found it like a couple of grief books, but they were hard 
there weren't a lot out there. They were hard to find. Um, I found that, that one myself, because yeah. it was the loss of a partner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it was the loss of a partner, I really resonated with it. And she was really like open and and yeah, just the starting of this kind of spiritual awareness was starting to come through for me. And so what was that second resource as well that helped you come back? Well, the second resource was the meditation practice. Um, And so the technique that I learned was called Ascension Meditation. And it's taught by the Ashayas of the Bright Path, who have um, teachers all around the world. And like I said, and I didn't realize like that um, Glenn's, one of Glenn's best friends, who I called, who I knew as Trevor, um, I didn't fully realize that he had actually become a monk when he went into this six-month meditation thing. Oh, my goodness, how fun and interesting. I know. Um, And, like, I'd seen on his Facebook, like, his name had changed. He'd added in this name, and it was really long, and it was a complete mouthful. I couldn't say it for years. It's Brahmananda. And everyone just looks at it and doesn't know how to say it. But so I'd seen this name appear as part of his name on Facebook and I didn't even really like register what that was about or, but yeah, so I learned that technique. And so when I then decided to go traveling and I was in Europe and I'd been living in France all summer and the super yacht thing wasn't really working out, I called him up and I was like, you you said this meditation place you went to was in Spain, right? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, well, you know, I'm in France. It's next door. Um, I thought maybe I might check it out for a couple of weeks, see if I can kind of get the hang of this meditation thing. And he was like, yeah, do it. Go for it. I flew to Barcelona. I think for the first 10 days, it was kind of similar to the first experience. It was pretty, it, it felt a bit traumatic. But this time I had, you know, a lot of support and a lot of teachers who I could turn to and ask for help. And even if I didn't want to ask for help, like I couldn't stop crying at some point, so I didn't really have much choice. Right. Uh, And it was just, you know, finally giving myself some space to allow some of that deep-held grief to move and to lift. And at the end of that first two weeks, that's what happened. I've almost physically felt grief leave me. Or maybe not grief, but the pain leave me. Mm -hmm. Because the grief can still be there. It's only the pain we attach to it that is the problem that causes the suffering. And that is what I started to learn and discover. And that was profound. I want to know from a monk, um, (laughs) if you have a message or a mantra or a meditation that you use specifically when grief comes up the most like do you talk to it do you talk to Glenn do you talk to yourself like what what meditation or what part of meditation helps you the most through releasing that pain of grief yeah I've actually got a really cool um technique that's really powerful it's called the pink light technique hmm And even if you're not a meditator, it's really more of a visualization exercise. It only takes five minutes a day to do, Um, but it's really powerful at healing relationships. And anyone that's hurt you, basically, or anyone that you have um, difficulties or discomfort with. And so it doesn't matter if they're alive or living, um, 
you can do this technique on them. Do you want to learn it? Yes, absolutely. I've got my hands in the air. I'm so excited. Ah, cool. <laughs> okay. Because it only takes a few minutes. Okay. And um, all right, here we go. So all we need to do is close your eyes. Okay. And just become aware of, just kind of tune into your heart center. And start to imagine loving pink light radiating out of your heart all through your body until you're kind of surrounded by a sphere of pink loving light. And then all you're going to do is out just outside of that pink sphere, you're going to visualize an image of yourself, a loving image of yourself. And when you hold that image there, all you're going to do is you're going to cover that image in pink loving light that's coming out of your heart. It's almost like you are icing a cake with pink icing. So you just cover that image of yourself in pink light and then you just release it and let it go. Bring in the, you kind of your closest family members, say your parents, children, partner, just one by one. Just have them like standing just outside your pink light and then one by one you're just going to cover them in pink light. Another metaphor might be, I often think of like a pink laser beam, like scanning their body from top to bottom. Mm -hmm. Then once you've gone through your family, now bring up anybody who you have, who may have hurt you in the past or you may have a difficult relationship with. So you could perhaps bring up in this context um, the person who you've lost. Mm -hmm. And then again, you cover them in pink loving light. Now, if that feels difficult to do, simply place them a little bit further away from you. You can have them standing in the distance. You can even have them with their back to you so you can't see their face if that's easier. Place them wherever is comfortable, even if it's miles away, and cover them in your pink light. And then you can continue to do this with anyone. You can invite anyone to show up so maybe someone pops into your mind who you haven't thought of forever in years or seems really obscure just give them some pink light maybe that's just what they need today and let them go yeah and then when everybody feels like they're done just open your eyes and it shouldn't really take any more than than five minutes you know when your heart's broken you're like I don't know if I can ever have any more love to give and that's a really helpful yeah. meditation not only to just coat people that we love in in this pink light but to remind ourselves that we can always be a source of this even when our hearts are broken Leela, tell me where our listeners can find you and your work if they'd like to work with you cool so uh my new website is simply leelab.life yeah, and actually the pink light technique is available on the homepage to download um, and you can get it as a just PDF instructions and also um, like a five-minute audio, very similar to what I just shared mm -hmm. from me, but you only need to use that a couple of times before you kind of get the hang of it. And then my podcast is called Daring to be Happy with Leela B. And that's all about uh, supporting and inspiring people in their meditation practice and on the show I interview each I do one interview each week and 
Uh, at the moment, I'm just interviewing all my other monk mates and um, sharing their stories of how they got started, what the previous episode of their life looked like, how they, what drew them or what was that pivot point that, that drew them to meditation and then like how did their life change after that. I also do a second shorter episode each week where I just answer any questions that anyone's got about meditation. <laughs> yes, that makes perfect sense. Oh, how cool. What a great little collection of of resources and stories. And before we go, I just want to ask you, how are you daring to be happy today? Oh, well, I'm actually uh, in Spain at the moment, back at the meditation retreat that I spent six months at three years ago. Oh, neat. Yeah, and so I was daring today because um, we just had a meeting and I just put my hand up and got super kind of vulnerable and shared some difficulties that I was having and um, and asked for some help. It's always scary to do that in front of a lot of people. But, but what I've always noticed is not only does, you know, having the courage to put your hand up and say, this is me, this is what I'm experiencing right now. One helps to simply shift whatever it is, whatever the problem is, mm-hmm. and kind of helps to bring you back to the present and to stillness. And also, you know, people have always, often when I do that, will come up to me afterwards and say, thank you so much for sharing that because that's something that I feel or I experience as well. And so that's what's been a this is kind of why I'm doing the podcast is because I've started to recognize in a way or acknowledge my own power and that, and I can't keep that for myself. I've got to, I've got to share it. Oh, I absolutely love that sentiment. And that is such a great way to dare to be happy today. Leela, thank you so much for joining me on coming back today. This was just phenomenal. And I feel very, uh, after doing the pink light exercise, feel very zened out today. Awesome. I'm so pleased. Thank you so much for having me, Shelby. It's been such a pleasure. So that's all for this episode of Coming Back. Thank you to Leela B., host of Daring to Be Happy, for sharing your beautiful pink light meditation with us and telling us your story of loss. Leela came back by reading the book Heartbroken Open by Christine Carlson and really getting into the practice of ascension meditation, so much so that she became a monk herself. You can find Leela's podcast by searching Daring to be Happy. You can hear an even deeper dive into her grief journey and meditation practice on episode one, which is titled My Personal Journey. You can also find your own copy of her pink light meditation at leelab.life. That's L-I-L-A-B dot life. You can join me tomorrow, October 5th, on Facebook Live at 1 o'clock Chicago time. We'll be talking about trees, surrendering, and a visual of pleasantly discarding our pain. Please subscribe and tell a friend about coming back because you never know what someone you love is going through. Thank you always, always to Mr. Addie Goldstein who composed our theme music. You can find me on Facebook at Shelby Forsythia, Intuitive Grief Guide, Instagram at Grief Guide, Shelby Forsythia, or simply shelbyforsythia.com. If you'd like to leave a question or a comment for a future show, leave a voicemail or text 312-725-3043 or email me at shelby at shelbyforsythia.com, subject line, podcast. As always, my dear grief growers, it was beautiful sharing this space and time with you today. 
I see you. I am proud of you and the work that you're doing in the world. And I love you. Because even through grief, we are growing. <laughs>